Businesses thrive by knowing customer insights because today's insights are tomorrow's facts. At iResearch, we live and breathe insights. And despite searching high and low, we were unable to find a customer insights podcast that answers one of the most important questions in business. Why do customers do what they do? So we launched one. Hi, I'm your host, Darshan Mehta. On this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Joanne Shu. She is an experiential designer. She designs holistic experiences, starting from a unique and meaningful story. The experience will be executed with multiple disciplines in art, such as interior, lighting, fashion, branding, entertainment, media, and communication. She collaborates with various artists, experts in their individual fields, and together they conduct a wide range of projects. Recent projects have been in food and beverage, hospitality, events, and entertainment industry. However, visionary and creative experiences are not limited to these industries. Her work is relevant to all brands that want to create a strong bond with their customers through a memorable customer journey. She is a visionary and conceptual artist. She considers herself to be the conductor that unites artists behind a singular vision. Welcome, John. A pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you, Darsha. I'm very happy to be here. It's a pleasure. What I usually like to start out, Joanne, is uh, really your personal experiences that have put you on this path and the aha moments that, in particular, ultimately put you on this path to be an experiential designer. So the aha moment, or I would say the moment that quite relevant to my life, to that I'm proceeding the path I'm proceeding now, is when I went to Bangkok. And I was sent there as a junior consultant. So that was my first job after my master graduation. And on this job, I didn't really know who I was. I had an idea what I wanted to do, but also I was denying my own creative craving. But everything changes with the moment when I went to Maggie Chu. It's a bar by Ashley Sutton in Bangkok, and it was in the basement. I remember... I went there for the first time while having daytime, my consulting job, and I'm going down in the basement and I entered another world. And that has fundamentally, I would say, shocked me because I always dreamed of going to a place like this. Like I was, when I was studying, I always thought, okay, how to combine art, how to put into reality, how to make like movie alive i think that was very fascinating because i'm a big movie fan mm-hmm. i mean everyone does but there are certain movies i always dream oh i wish i could be inside that movie instead of just only dreaming instead of only watching it and when i went to maggie Chu, that was the moment when i went i remember went down the staircase i go in that i entered another world and i said this is crazy and who did this and I was perplexed for a moment. And then I met the designer, Ashley Sutton, and I learned he's a larger than life personality. And I learned his story. So he is full of hats. He is not a designer per se, like study design. And then you do like you do by the book. Before I went to Bangkok, everything I did in the German environment was by the book. This is how you're supposed to do things. You have school, you go study and I find a job and you design, you draft, you plan, you execute the very, very typical structured way. But when I met Ashley, he was a dropout from school when he was 14. He worked in the ore mine in Australia. So he's Australian. And his language was so opposite than what I have experienced all before working in consultancy, right? It's not pragmatic. It's not formal. Aries' second word he says is fuck this shit and uh, it's horrible and that was so opposite than what i've experienced but meeting him knowing his story that he could do even without ever study design but he just built based his imagination i was very inspired and and that moment i went back to my hotel i remember something started growing inside me and I was suddenly started questioning, is consulting life that what I wanted to do? And is my past being a consultant? And changing locations every six months, working, exchanging my time against a fair career, a good payment. And then one day, all this overcame me. 
because at that time was also, I spoke with Ashley, said, look, your place is fantastic, but you only use 50% of your potential. That's one of the first things I told him. <laughs> and he looked at me and, and then, you know, I was, I was this little Asian girl. And I said, like, all right, so what can you do? I said, I'll come back in two weeks. And I will come up back with concept ideas in production. And then I did. Just for purely out of passion, without any expectation, I just want to really do it. So that was the aha moment, the first aha moment. And then we did the production. I did a casting. I work with choreographers. I work with musicians. I work with people together. And we put something together. It was far away from what I've expected. But... I, for the first time in my life, I did something that truly comes out of my core, my interest, my heart, my passion. And from there, I started questioning whether consulting is my path, whether that what I have learned at school, not by intuition, but by logic was, was my path. And I remember I was staying in my hotel and I hated actually staying in the hotel because every day someone would come with clean, it's always ordered. I have no space for creation. I have no no things to to put anywhere. And then I start to print out ideas, print out designs, print out elements of creativity and put it on the wall in my hotel room. I could share pictures if you want. And then I also started to take pictures of myself, like with a selfie, like I developed my selfie. And all this comes together that I say, what is it actually what I'm looking for? And because it was a quite challenging part of what is that what I wanted for my life? And what would I be proud of if I look back at the end of my day? And I noticed it is not a prestigious job. It is not the money I would earn. Despite I grew up in a very financial struggling environment I always wanted to escape that that's why I went to consulting in the first place but then I noticed okay what I want is to realize myself is to do the things that has meaning that at the end of the the day of my life when I look back it was worth living and about experience design I noticed even back then I noticed to design experiences to create a world. So before the word experiential design, it was for me, it's like, I want to create a world, even if it's only temporarily, even if it's staged, but I want to create a world for me and for the people who are interacting with me to go inside the world, to experience something. And I even realized that for numerous reasons that some people do not have access to certain experiences. And I think how terrible if they would never experience that. A simple example. So in my idea, I was sitting in my hotel room looking at the wall that I put all together. Imagine some people will never experience the feeling of falling in love. I know this is very hypothetical, but what would be the element if I would design for someone to have the experience of having this ultimate flame of love, then I would say, okay, I would have to plan the journey. This person would meet someone unexpectedly. What kind of music would play there? Like like a movie. When you script a movie, when you design a movie, you will think about, you will build up the protagonist, you build up the storyline, the story plot, and then you will have the art direction going direct. So, and I was thinking how I can do that in real life. Could I do that in real life? I made a plan. It's it's funny. I think maybe I still have it somewhere. In the plan is, okay, I will put this protagonist who is not an actor, who is, uh, let's say, the audience who, who is going to experience this. But which kind of actress I need to put? Who are the people that logistics need to involve? There must be people who is observing because you need to feel like as natural as possible, right? So maybe this person receive a card with that's okay, now your experience begin. And then you guide this person through. But it's also to on the same time, this person are not going to follow any script. 
So you need to have people observing what he's doing. So you will have not only one path, but you need to have like 10 paths. So in case he choose this one, so he always comes to that experience we are designing. So I already, at that time, already made a very complex thought. And I figured out, to create a world, you need the world, which is an environment. Later on, I said, okay, you need to let people to immerse. And second is you need to transform, either transform this person itself or transform the, the people around him. And then to engage in the world, these people is interacting with the environment and the engagement from the environment needs to reflect back that idea or that wish that we have. What I'd like to do is I want to bring what you're saying alive for a moment here for the listeners. So I want to go back to Maggie Shu. When you first walked in, describe Maggie Shu because most people don't know it. I want you to describe and how it looks and feels. But then what did you think was missing 50%? And so what did you propose to change? And then what did you implement and how that changed? If you can maybe describe that in a little more detail that way, because I think I know what you're saying, but I want people to better understand and visualize this. And I think it'd be interesting if you explain what Maggie issue was like when you first arrived and then how you recommended to transform it and how you did transform it. Yeah, so Maggie Chu is a 1938 themed, it's about theme bar, very strongly theme bar. The interior design looks like a movie set from 1930s where the Japanese invasion is happening in Shanghai in China. And Maggie Chu, as the name says, uh, describes a woman who, there's a story that escapes from China and going to Bangkok, discovered that place. In the basement, she discovered the East-West Bank. It's like a secret vault where in the past people store all the treasures. And when you go down the basement, it looks like exactly what we imagine how China in Shanghai looks at that time it's a bit like a dungeon right i mean it's a bit like a dungeon you have caves i mean i mean it's, it's very basement feeling yeah inside the box you have dungeons but when you walk down the stairs it reminds me very much on the old chinese buildings it's kind of a dark mysterious place it has pictures on the wall it's hard to describe in words people really need to go and see yeah but behind it, there's these little rooms where you're actually behind, like where the vaults would have been to keep, let's say, the valuables. Yeah, that's one part of it, the smoking room. But, you know, the wall is made of bricks. And overall, when you go inside there, you feel you're in Shanghai 1930, at least our, in our imaginary version. And that place is built with a lot of attention to details. And, you know, it was not designed by a script it was designed by imagination and by passion for example meanwhile it changed a lot but when you first entered there was this wooden staircase you go down you see there is a cage with birds inside you would have the old pictures from that era on the wall everything was made of tiles that reminds you of such a place in back then in china and there's a kitchen like a small kitchen to have a simple chinese cuisines and then you enter the wooden door. I think the door was magical. As I said, like it's like mystery. You see a wooden door. You, you just want to know what's behind it. And you open the door. You enter this other world. And then you open another door. And there was a table. A rose is on it. You feel like this is a place where there is the soul of this described character, Maggie. And then you go there. There are just a valve, a valve which is made of heavy steel distressed steel, distressed wood, everything's distressed. It feels like real. It feels like you are there, 1930s, 1938, and you open the valve. There is this smoking room with Chesterfield uh, couches, with olden wooden crates. Even the ashtray is made of heavy brass items. So there's a lot of the details and there are swings, not to forget. I think this is iconic. You probably see new bars popping up after 2013, that's when it was built. And that's all somehow got inspired by Maggie Chu's worldwide, but especially in Asia. There were swings where the Maggie Chu's girl are sitting on a swing. So this is the world I entered, the immerse. Both to say why only 50% has been used is the shell is there. People feel it. But I felt 
the soul is missing. The ghost, the spirit, you can feel it, but it's not visible to everyone. And to make it full experience, not only the environment should be like this, but also the interaction. And at that time, the, the Maggie Chu girls were dancers in Kipao, and they were dancing some classical performance dance. And I felt there was a mismatch with that space. And also, I was imagining if this would be a movie, if I would enter this world, what would happen there? People would drink, yes. Performers would dance. But there would be so much more that can be done to make this world even more coming alive. So I suggest that let's have a full story. I started to script a story and I create a character. I started also to extend the development of the character of Maggie Chu's. Like, who is she? Why did she went to Bangkok? What was her story before she going to Bangkok? And what happened then? Maggie Chu in the original, at the beginning of the creation, is all, okay, she's a cabaret star from China. Or I don't even know what I've, so many years after things are blurred, right? But I start to extend her story. I built in what's happening in China, in the history, because I was very, I'm Chinese born in China. And this was created by Australia. So I want to add more details of Chinese history. So what's happening at that time? What was happening with this kind of cabaret performers, right? They're being regarded, being celebrated on the one hand side, but on the other hand side, they're also the so-called night figures. They're not really respected in society because they're entertainers. They're kind of almost on the level of prostitute, like like the geishas, right? Mm -hmm. And also me being a woman, I want to also build in a certain bravery in the story because Maggie already had it so like she escaped and then she opened up something so what what is the reason that brought her to there love story for example yeah in that idea and I try to all put this story into a show because the only way at that time I could realize was to do a show because the place is already built so I was started, as I said, like cast people. I was working with a musician, Julian Co. They did fantastic soundscape. I have never directed a movie. I have never did an experience before that, before Megachu, but it came so natural. I spoke with the musicians. I said, look, in this soundscape, we have to give the feeling of loneliness, but still strength. And in this music, we have to build in the femininity, but also the sensuality and the erotic of that lady, Maggie. And then what would be the passion, but also the pain she might have in her love story. So that was all the direction I gave the musician. I worked with a choreographer. He was a contemporary choreographer, Didi Chompi in Thailand. He was very famous. And so the different elements, the first time I was working with, in, only in terms of production, with musician, with performers, with choreographers. So that was the very, very beginning of the design I was involved. So it sounds like, going back to Ashley for a second, he was not formally trained, but he seemed to have a sense of intuition and feeling and maybe a bit of street smarts. He kind of had a good sense of what people would be interested in. I think that was quite interesting for you because your background, as you said, you're Chinese, but you grew up in Germany, correct? And you were uh, trained in Germany and you had a very formal, logical path to your training. And then that's what you thought. That's the way you're going to do it. But this was eye-opening for you. And this put you on the path to experiential learning. So my question to you is, what three things, it sounds like you have them kind of innately, but if you had to say, what three skill sets are really required to be a good experiential designer? Skills or components, because they're a little bit different. Uh, you want to give me both or tell me the difference? Okay. Skills are things that we have learned. Skill set is something that we learn and we master. Mm -hmm. And components could be things that has nothing to do with what we have learned, but it comes naturally or it comes through life that we're not intentionally to learn can you give me an example yeah okay this goes into another area creativity and visionary and imagination 
are not skills. There are techniques how you can learn how to be creative, like creative thinking. But the level of actually and the level of my imagination does not originate that we have studied it. It's because our life have forced us to be creative. When you look, there are certain parallels between my life and, and the life of Ashley, even though it's very different. But people, like I always say, artists, when they're creative, they always have gone through a certain hardship in life. It's always because something has forced you to be creative, to get a solution in that moment. So creativity comes out of, out of trauma. That's the way we kind of say it. So the components for experiential design is you need creativity. You need to be able to envision things like a vision. And you need to be brave and bold to wanting to execute it. So these are the three components that are not skill sets. That is you bring in through talents, passion. These are the three things. It's quite generic. But it seems part of what you also need, you need to be able to really relate and understand people well. In other words, you need to have a a deeper understanding or view of human nature. Would you agree? I started off with the first first three components, right? What comes inside me, the passion, the creativity, and the vision. Mm -hmm. And now we come to skill set. The skill set is you have to be able to observe, to observe, to see what are the needs. I mean, it's, it's very generic, but it's analyze. First is analysis. Second is to uh, strategy. And third is execution. So the very classical, what we have in marketing, analysis, conclusion, strategy, and execution. What do we analyze? I need to analyze is what does trigger people's emotion in what environment is the people who potentially going there attracting those people that's number one so the whole whole analysis tools what i have studied in my university time now come to use and second thing is strategy is because emotion is very hard to program so what are the touch points what are the approach and what are the activities I'm doing to touch people's emotion, to trigger people's emotion? So that's the strategy. And then the last part is the execution is after you have, you know what people maybe want to have, what they're looking for, and you see, okay, this is what they can relate to. These actions will give them this feeling. Then you're going to execute in different areas. For example, in my magnitude the vision was already there there right actually already had a vision of 1930 uh, shanghai and it's a basement place it's like a dark brothel place there are shade figures in the shadow right so we want to convey the mystery because intuitively he has figured out it's always the mystery that withdraws people it's people want to finding out it's our it triggers people's curiosity and also the story back then with his style that that chapter of china and it was with a female figure is very interesting so that is a novelty before him there was no bar that has such a story that has such a world so as he put that and here is where I added is like not only the space, but also how the performers are dressed, what kind of music are telling the same story, what are the performance saying about it? One of the things I talked about in my book is that people are no longer buying products, they're buying experiences. So that's why the fact when I first met you and you told me you're experiential designer, it just resonated with me. So my question too is why do you think that's the case? Why are people these days seeking more experiences beyond just buying a product? Because products has become commodity. Mm-hmm. We have over the last hundred years from the industrialization, we have gone through a certain development. In the beginning, there was commodities. It was not accessible for everyone. But then thanks to industrialization, thanks to economy of scale, 
at some point, everyone has access to everything. I know it's not right now everywhere in this world, but in the majority of nations, everyone have access to food, have access to to clothes, to hope, which was not before 200 years or 100 years. And then after the commodities was product, product was already designed a certain way, done a certain way, it has brand something, right? That was the second stage in the 50s. In the industrial nation was in 50s, 60s, the boom of products, right? Home appliances, cars, housing, TVs. Asia caught it up in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, right? There are still some part in the world catching up with this. And then the third stage is service, right? It's no more the service that matters, but it's the service, how good a service people cared about. And I think industrial nation already passed through the service. We expect service. Now it's slowly rising in Asia, the other countries catching up with this. So what comes after service? It's not even product, but product service, what comes after that is experience because you have it all. What are the next level? And that is experience. It's not only an item that is tangible. It's not only the item that is delivered well, but it's the whole experience, how you perceive it, not only logically, but also emotionally. And that's the experience because experience has so many touch points. Absolutely. It starts from the time they hear about you to the time they interact and even post-purchase. I think you're right. I'm a big believer that things are going more and more towards experiences. I find that brands are recognizing that more and more. But I'm curious, I suspect in your field of work, many people approach you as a designer, but they don't quite understand experiential design. So what are your three biggest challenges with clients and projects that they don't quite understand? And what would help them understand to better understand what it is you do? I think there are two things. First of all, I am still very ahead the time, especially in the market I was in Asia. Asia is not the most advanced market. So I need to be patient and wait because my belief is in the, within the next five years, five to 10 years, experiential design will be more and more relevant. Not only the big brands, but also overall, there will be awareness there. Right now, there's no awareness. I mean, even the first academical paper about experience design has been coined experiential design like this was in the 90s so we're talking we're, we're really 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 talking at the front of this development so patient is the second right now is sometimes i don't need to say that i'm experiential designer it's rather to say okay what do you need this so i need interior design or i need a fashion whatever that is and i would design it the item under the name, but I will give additional touch points to it if they're open to it. So I cannot force the time, the development on certain clientele. That's why I'm choosing my clientele also very wisely because some people, they just want something very simple. And even I think it would be better to have a whole experience, but I can only match their expectations and not my vision. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. That's a bit of a challenge sometimes. When you're trying to offer something, they don't completely understand it. It's hard for them to buy into it. And I think part of it is getting enough clients and enough examples that they get it. People always learn by seeing somebody else do something. So that's why I think it's a little bit of a challenge. I haven't encountered too many experiential designers. It's a term that I think is is a bit new, but I think it's going to be heading more and more that way because everyone's looking for a different experience. And that's what they end up talking about. That's what they're feeling. And I think the analogy you said about trying to immerse people into movies is a good one because a lot of times people are fans of movies, but their life is not like that. That's why a lot of times they do enjoy going to a hotel because it feels like it's luxurious. It gives them a feeling that they've been in a movie or something. But more of that can be extended to food and beverage and other areas. So I definitely think that experiential design and things that are designed with experience in mind, the holistic experience is going to play a bigger and bigger role as you move forward. Absolutely. I mean, one thing I also need to mention why it's a little bit harder for the clientele to understand what the experiential design is, is the point of view, how people see it. 
when I design experience, my ultimate goal is not to please or to match my client who is a business party, but my ultimate goal is actually to match the expectations of their clientele. So the end customers. But very often the point of view of the, let's say the business owner and their clientele, they do not share the same point of view because when I design experience, I always have the end customer in mind. It's like what I want is end customer or this end guest. For me, it's guest, not customer. Like what I want is guest to feel, to experience, to sense. Thus, they want to willing to put their time and their money on it. But very often the client still coming from another time and they want to be safe. They want to say, okay, how much I'm going to invest? And so they would play the safe card. They would say, okay, how much is this thing going to return investment on this? How does this even matter to the people? So this is always a challenge that if I succeed to talk to my client and say, look, when you are guests somewhere, would this matter to you or not? And then they would understand. But very often, they're just different factors because as a business owner, when you do this, you have pressure, you have financial pressure, you have success pressure. You will always think, oh, what matters are KPIs, ROIs, stuff like that, and not the experience. But sometimes like, well, when you experience more, well, people are going to willing to leave their money there, right? So again, I think when there are examples, maybe also bigger brands leading, it will be a better time for me because it will comes to to a certain standard. Just I learned the term experiential design just last year when I went to New York. I always knew what I did. I always know what the components are. I always call experience design. And experience design is actually in the professional term is actually UI designers like in the digital field. So that wasn't the right word. Only when I come to the experiential design because I went to Louis Vuitton exhibition as I well this is exactly what I do and then I found the word experiential design yeah I think it's definitely going to be changing in the long run but I think part of it is when you people talk about ROI what people don't understand is that there is an ROI but when you're going for emotion that's what you're striving for you're trying to create and evoke an emotion and sometimes depending on the emotion you evoke that ROI can be 3x 10x 12x it can be exponentially greater when you evoke an emotion with a customer and their interaction with you as a brand. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. We are coming from a stage post-industrialization, post-materialism, that we think people buy things out of logical reason, but it has never been like that. When we're going to consumer psychology, we know people making decisions due to their emotion. And that's why we have advertising. That's also the major I studied uh, in my first bachelor degree, especially right now with social media, with Instagram. Products want to portray a life, portray a feeling that you will experience when you buy this product, right? Why would people buy a watch nowadays that has no functional value anymore because we have phones we have digital watch but a luxury especially in luxury segment it's all about emotion because it's a prestige maybe it's memories right maybe it's tradition it's legacy so it's all about the emotion there are certain products that has a functional purpose but when we already have everything the things are not there to fulfill function but things are there to fulfill a certain emotional need or emotional cravings. Yeah. We don't eat anymore just to, to be satisfactory. We eat because it's, it's a community, it's a satisfaction, it's a reward, stuff like that. Yeah, it's right. Interaction, conversation is much more beyond just the food and the, and the beverage. Yes, absolutely. And I also see the development, why I think experiential design is going to be more and more relevant. Mm -hmm. So right now we are overall, we have to always see the overall society where we're going. And especially with technologies pushing us. So we have on the one hand side, the extreme digitalization, 
And so with the digitalization, especially with two years of COVID, what happened is people are no more purchasing in shops. Now I'm talking about retail. People were captivated inside their homes. And this two years showed very well that even though we had everything, what we didn't have was experience. We could not travel. We not, could not go out. We could not dine with friends. So this is the best explanation that people are crave for experience, especially after two years of COVID. And with the digitalization and things has been more digital, suddenly there's a drop of need to have them put it in shop. And logistically, it also makes more sense for a lot, especially cost-wise, for the retail spaces to no more put them in shops because it's inefficient and expensive. So they sell all online. But in the next step is, I'm not sure how it is for you, but for me as a woman, I need to try the things. I want to see see the store. I want to touch it. I want to see it. There's a lot of things that you cannot do digitally. They're simple not. So which means for the mass markets, fast fashion, because I was very engaged last year with fashion, they will go more and more only digital online. But for the luxury fashion, for the more higher end, it needs to be the experience. And so I think the experience design will be more and more relevant because shops won't only be the place for the exchange of product and purchase. Shops will need to be the brand experience point. Mm -hmm. So the stock, the inventory, the shipping might be digitally coordinated, but suddenly this kind of touch point needs to become experience world. And I have seen this already in the early examples. I say, well, that's experience or design. Who do you think does that well in the current world? Does good experiential design and delivers an experience that it really has made a big difference for them? Yeah, I think definitely in Bangkok, the food and beverage scene. I've tried quite around. I don't know about other places in US, but in Europe, in US, in other places in Asia, Bangkok is, is really, really pioneering in the food and beverage, especially in delivery experience. Because when we're thinking about restaurant in the past, it's just a nice place where you eat and have a good time. But there is not, not a world you're experiencing. Yes, maybe you, when you're in a certain country, you experience the authenticity of each country. But there's not like um, when you are in Bangkok, you design a place that ports you into another place. So that is a very good example. All Ashley spas are like that, right? There are a couple to mention. Some are in Hong Kong, some are in Bangkok. Restaurant, I, mean, I think, yeah, there's a couple of restaurants in Bangkok that are very good in that. In terms of other places in experiential design, we need to actually talk about exhibitions. So there's a strong link between art and experience. Exhibition is always created for, for to immerse people or theme parks. So when we're talking about experiential design, it's a combination of from things that we already know that already applied is, is exhibitions and also theme parks. Mm-hmm. Seeing right now in the retail, there are few, very, very few that I have seen. One is my personal experience I came across in Milan last year in the Shop Boy. It's a Thai Milanese brand for luxury bags, uh, leather bags. And they had a space designed not only to exhibit the product, but give you an idea. And the staff has a special uniform that makes you think there was thoughts behind it. So I talked to them up and said, yes, we have an experiential designer. So that was also the first time I came across someone else being called experiential designer. Also in entertainment, when you have a show, Cirque du Soleil is an experiential design in a stage, but without interaction. But there are more that I have not experienced myself yet. It's immersive theater in London. Team Lab. In the space of experiential learning, moving into the future, what part of experiential design would you like to delve into even more 
or to investigate more or to play with more? And where do you see it going into the future? I think at some point, that five to 10 years I mentioned, the majority industry, especially in the upper end, they will all have to invest in experiential design. I think the first market will be all the luxury brands, whether it's in fashion, in, in cars, all that they will go into that because also they have the experiential design needs also substantial of the brand. It needs to have depth and substancy. And all these luxury branding, they are a luxury because not of the money, but because of their history and the substance behind their brand. So all these brands will probably move. And we are not limiting to a certain industry. Talking about retailer for sure, jewelry, uh, fashion, garments, bags in this area. But also experiential design involves into gaming. Gaming, I mean, gaming is already an interactive digital world, right? And for these conventions to promote when there is already experience and they want to give people sort of experience real world because you see in the younger crowd, they love to cosplay because they also want to have that in their real life. Or if gaming industry want to reach out to more audience that are not the classical gamers, but maybe people who are just interested, but they also have a real life, they have to bring their digital 3D world into real life. So when we're talking about experience design, there's really like many, many, many areas that will go into experiential design. It's like digitalization. When we asked like 30 years ago, who will use computer? Who will use programs or apps? Nowadays, everyone, every kind of business. So there's no limitation. For me, there's not a certain industry that I want to limit myself this is a good thing about experiential design. I do not want to limit myself, but what I want to focus rather in the industry, what are the parameters that are important for me? I want to communicate depth, like substance that has history, that is a legacy. Culture, art, this is a big part I always want to share in my experiential design. Another part is it needs to be meaningful. As I said, like years ago, when I had this vision is I want to provoke people's emotion. I want at the end of my life valuable to me. And I'm hoping that what I'm doing is also give other people's uh, emotion that is valuable to them. So this is for me, one of the, not talking about as a business, like my vision and as my purpose in life, I want to design things to make people feel, make people think, make people reflect. And the last thing is because creativity involves mental well-being and because it was the not mental well-being I have experienced, I develop creativity. Now I want to use this creativity to embrace, to be a positive force for people who experiences to have a better well-being. What role do you think AR or augmented reality is going to play in experiences moving forward? And how much of AR are you going to in incorporate into your experiences that you design? Augmented reality is one tool of it. Many times, all these technologies, people forget they are just a tool. Mm -hmm. They are not replacing anything. They are a tool. If used right, they will enhance the experience but they would never replace experience mm -hmm. probably it will be become better and better and better and better and it will be feel more and more and more real but the moment we still have to put the goggles on to experience that it's really just a feature but you can build a feature in your experience so the experience the overall thing and augmented reality is part of it for example it will be interactive. It facilitates the interaction. Augmented reality is one part of the immerse, for example, or, or engage. What part of successful experiential learning is about just the tools to do things or the actual story line that carries all the way through? I mean, I think I know the answer you're going to say, but I, I want to hear what you think. What ultimate drives the ultimate experience, the story or the tools? For me, and... I'm very absolute about it's a story. 
Why? It's the core. It's the heart. It's the core of it. Tools, as it already says, it's the tools. Tools are replaceable. Tools facilitate it. Common sense. Tool is there to facilitate. Tool is there to enhance. Tool is there to execute. But if you have no core, the tools is useless. And this is sometimes you can see, like, or I see, things have been done because people are fancy about tool, fancy about instrument. It's not about a story. It's like a movie, right? Like a movie. If a movie has a really good story and not a lot of, uh, let's say, you know, technology, CGI, whatever, that can be very compelling and powerful. Whereas uh, some movies that have a lot of CGI and a lot of technology and stunts and stuff, but the story's not there, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, I mean, we see that a lot. And when we go into a movie because we saw the trailer and the trailer is fantastic and you sit in a movie, it's like, yeah, it was like technically super done. And But what did I take from that movie and there are movies maybe they're done by low budget but it has such a powerful message that right. make people think maybe even lead to certain action of some people so this is for me but i say we need both if i have to choose i would always choose the story but it's not like a win-lose situation you can have win-win situation or you can have both the ultimate perfection is you have the core first and use the right tool and combine them together you have the perfect experience. Right. What I'm trying to get at, I think sometimes people rely more on the tool than the story, but absolutely try to have a good, solid story. And then sure, tools are going to help for sure. But the, the key is you need a foundation of a good story and a good, compelling narrative that you want to convey to the ultimate audience. Yeah, absolutely. So my question to you is, uh, in the world of experiential learning or any of this, if you could have lunch or dinner with anyone, who would it be and why to pick their brain? This is this can can I host a dinner and invite them all? <laughs> <laughs> okay, give me the top three. How's that? <laughs> I mean, these are not the people I die to see for, but now we limit in this context for experiential design. Definitely, the first one would be Walt Disney, because Walt Disney he has been the one who created Disney World, the theme park. So he was a visionary of his time and he executed from his idea of creativity, of drawings, of the cartoons into, into creating a world. So definitely he is one of the person. The second one would be Shonda Rhimes. Shonda Rhimes, she is uh, she is a TV producer producing TV shows. Mm -hmm. A lot of shows are on, on Netflix. What I like about her is in general, when, when I watch Netflix, not very often, but when I watch now, I think Netflix as an entertainment platform, it is also very education, not very education, but it is somewhat educational and reflects where the society currently is moving and reflects certain topics we're having. And as a woman, this is important to me, we're seeing some trends like female empowerment. And Shonda Rhimes in her TV shows, what she really made it amazing is that she processed certain topics that are reflecting the general trend combined with some traditions, made it though so simple and so easily digestible and so appealing for normal people to watch it. And hence being influenced by that. So she is, for me, a positive force without being a philosopher, without being, you know, one of these big persons that, that are speaking. I mean, it's, she's not a president, right? But through her work, the biggest influence that the drivers in society are not that what we think, but are rather those ones that we, we do not actually notice, but see all the shows. And she is, her work, but also in general, a lot of these productions is giving another light to the society. So this is not related to the experience, but related rather to the time where we're living. So Shona Rhimes would be a person I would like to talk with. Number three, from people maybe that has already passed, would be Matahari. She called herself as an exotic dancer. Okay, she lived during the Second World War. 
she was exotic dancer like in the erotical world she was like stripping she, she was a very attractive woman she says her father is is from india actually i believe yeah because she was doing belly dance exotic dance like oriental dance <laughs> so he was constructing her story but in the end she was a double spy and she got executed in paris after they they found out that she was a double spy mm -hmm. so she was spying for germans i believe she was in the world with her attraction with sensuality femininity she got to the information she had access to informations and she has a huge influence in a certain i believe certain battlefields yeah and and, and she's a larger than life personality and and she's very inspiring yeah well, I want to thank you very much for uh, joining me in this conversation today. I really enjoyed it. I have a feeling you and I might have to have another episode and talk even more because I think we can talk for a while. <laughs> Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I enjoyed it and I, and I want to thank you. Yeah, it was a big pleasure. I know today we can only have a small section of experience design. Maybe I want to give Lars a picture about experience design. If any other design field is like a line from A to B, it's a line. Mm -hmm. Experience design is a net. It is a complex interwoven structure and it's many lines coming together. And that's why it's for people also hard to understand. But what we can do is to cut a small section of the net mm -hmm. and highlight certain things. Well, I look forward to seeing your work and I'm sure we'll have another conversation after you do some more projects and I'm sure we'll definitely keep in touch. I'm going to learn more and more about experiential design and moving forward with, with you. Thank you, Darshan, for the time. It was a big pleasure. Thanks a lot. Getting to AHA was brought to you by iResearch. To find out more about us, head to iResearch.com. And make sure to search for Getting to AHA in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else podcasts are found. And don't forget to click follow to ensure you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you for listening.